some beef with someone I don't wanna know Unless they happen to be at this show I don't know who fucked up or who stole all your shit But if they're next to you right now Just run up and hit them Uh, hey folks, uh, we're live. Welcome to the Garrett Schalke Podcast. I am your boy, your host, as always, Garrett Schalke. And uh, boy howdy, do uh, we have a scorcher of an episode for you today. <laughs> Saying that partially because it's, it's uh, May in Michigan and it's hot as shit right now. And uh, it's going to get even hotter because we have a really, really special guest right now guest on today. He is the co-host of uh, BP Bledis and uh, Work Stoppage. One's a podcast about, well, cultural stuff and weed. And <laughs> and the other one is about uh, union labor politics. But uh, today, we are not going to be talking about any of that. That stuff is way too deep, plus we're a Christian podcast. That's right. Yeah, I think I forgot to mention that to you, by the way, John. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, today, strong, strong Calvinist values on this podcast. <laughs> ex- exactly. It fits perfectly here in Southwest Michigan. That's right. Now, uh, now today I wanted to uh, talk today about, uh, well, our guest on. His name's uh, John Paul Zeterman. Please, please tell me I, I pronounced that correctly. Close enough, it's uh, Zig Zigterman. God damn it, can I just call you JPZ? You absolutely can. You can call me anything but late for dinner. Uh, there we go, perfect. And uh, we're going to be talking today about his his music project, Luminaire, and uh, Michigan. Because uh, we're both Michiganders and uh, mm-hmm. something to talk about. <laughs> John, uh, welcome to the podcast, man. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to get to talk about uh, the, the music project that I have uh, that I don't really spend a lot of time promoting. <laughs> so um, this is a great opportunity to sit around and talk about something that uh, I very rarely uh, usually get to chat about. And also Michigan is fun because I, uh, I grew up here in southwest Michigan and then I lived in Pittsburgh for like... 10 years, and then I just moved back up here about one year ago, so I've been readjusting to the extremely boring Dutch culture of the area. (laughs) Oh, extremely boring, you say? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, wow, this is going to be a great conversation, I could just tell. (laughs) Okay, uh, okay, uh, well, hold, hold on, let me get my mic here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, professional podcasts, professional podcasting here on, uh, Hashtag powerful GSP. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, okay, dude, uh, yeah, how you been, man? Oh, I've been really good. Uh, the last few weeks have been kind of crazy. Uh, I've just been, like, spending a lot of time adjusting to a new job and trying to figure out what, like, the balance between 
working and my life and all my projects is. But it's finally starting to come together. Uh, just in time for the summer, and I got my uh, I got a crown that I really needed uh, in my teeth, and oh. then I also uh, I got a small rock removed from my elbow that had been there for a long time. So <laughs> I'm feeling great. Everything's coming up Millhouse as far as I'm concerned. Oh yeah, folks. Uh, we forgot to mention that uh, John has uh, recovered recently from a very serious medical episode. <laughs> and uh, we we've been uh, chatting for a sec about uh, having him on the podcast, but then he uh, went silent. And I was like, uh, he's probably busy with something else. I'll contact him in like a week or so. But then I see the post. Yeah, yeah, I got fucked up really bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, ooh boy, um, you, you still want to be on the podcast, bro? <laughs> yeah, it was wild when I when I went to the doctor to get that rock removed. I um. I actually postponed an episode of my show Beep Beep Lettuce because uh, it was it was causing me so much pain all of a sudden. I got in the chat and I was like, hey guys, can we start later? I'm going to run to the urgent care real quick. And they were like, yeah, are you okay? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah I'm fine. I'm just going to go to the urgent care. And uh, I was ready to send them a message like, hey, I can't do it today. Like, this is taking too long, whatever. And then, like, the doctor had me in and out and removed the rock from my arm all inside of like an hour and I was right back at my house and I was like well I guess I'm ready to podcast <laughs> okay I, I know that you uh, had this on a uh, premium episode of Beep Beep but uh, well, could you give us some details of what happened oh yeah well I mean like this is this is close to 10 years ago now maybe like 7, seven 8 years ago I was riding my bicycle to work and I lived at the top of a very steep hill, and work was at the bottom of a very steep hill. Mm-hmm. So eventually, I would get on my bike and just go extremely fast. As one should. Right. And then after I'm dog tired at the end of the day, I have to walk my bike up the hill, which sucked ass, but whatever. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it gave me more time. The, the going fast gave me more time to smoke weed before work, so I was happy. And uh, Works out. But so anyway, I, it was rainy one day, and some guy, there's like a really weird intersection about halfway through my commute, and a guy just blows through a stop sign at the intersection and basically runs me off the road. So I try to hop up onto the curb, but I do it at kind of like a weird oblique angle to the curb, and there's all this, my tire slips really bad, and uh, I, I completely lose control. I crash down to the ground, and I, I scrape my right elbow up extremely bad. Oh, and then, shit. Uh, I, I go to work, you know? And then, like, days later, you know, I didn't go to the ER or anything or urgent care. Days later, I'm like, well, part of this isn't healing, right? There's, like, a bump in my elbow. And then I just kind of lived with that bump in my elbow for, like, six or seven years? <laughs> seven, eight years? Something like that. I mean, it was before uh, I met my wife, so it had to be at least six years ago. And it was a rock. Yeah, and it was a rock. And then the, the doctor pulls it out of my arm, and she's like, because I had told her, I'm like, I think it's rock. And she's like, basically, in very nice doctor speak, telling me, like, that's crazy. And then she pulls it out. She cuts it open and pulls it out, and she's like, it is a rock. <laughs> <laughs> and I still have it. I'm, I, I'm looking at it right now, actually. Oh, oh wow. So, like, was it an infection or something? 
No, what had happened was just like as the inflammation had gradually gone down over the years or something, I don't know, like the, the, the swelling around the rock gradually went down and then the rock like was pressing harder and harder against my skin until it eventually like was pushing slightly out of my skin. That, that, at that point, that was when I went to the urgent care, right? Oh, okay. So it was weird. It was like, because um, I had read stories before like when I was a teenager or whatever of like World War Two veterans who had like a Nazi bullet in their leg. Like shrapnel. Like who? Like shrapnel. Yeah, like shrapnel or or something, and then they come back to, you know, America or Russia or England or whatever the case may be. And um, over the years either like it just stays there if it's deep enough, or it does like gradually make its way to the surface. Like your body can slowly try to basically eject stuff mm-hmm. out of it and that's what my that's what my elbow did with this rock that had found a place somewhere between some tendons in there <laughs> yeah not not the most pleasant story i have nicer stories than that but that's <laughs> what everybody seems to want to hear so <laughs> all right well i'm i'm glad you're feeling up and at them now Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, things have been going great for me, uh, besides the fact that I, I work more hours than I'd like to at my job. Uh, things have been going good. I'm finally getting good sleep again, even though I do wake up at 4.20 in the morning now. Um, nice. <laughs> Oblig- obligatory nice. Obligatory nice. I'd wake up at 69 in the morning if that was a, if that was a time you could read on a clock. <sighs> I'm sure somewhere in the multiverse there is like a... 4.69 in the morning. Yeah, yeah, someplace where they have, like, 100-minute hours or something. Just un- <laughs> unlimited time. Yeah. All right, uh, well, that was a horrible story. Let's go, <laughs> let's go on to a better story. Sure. Uh, Luminaire, your music project, the main thing I wanted to talk to you about today. I have, uh, got into it earlier this year because, uh, you've been posting a shit ton of singles for it on Bandcamp. Yeah. <laughs> and I've been yeah, I, enjoying I them very like a, much. Yeah, I just had like a burst of creativity this year after not really like feeling up to making music for a long time. And it, it kind of started, I think, the same way that like Luminaire projects always start, which is just that like there's some, there's some time in my week <laughs> where I can sit in front of a computer and, and play with Ableton. And I'm, like, tired of watching YouTube. I'm tired of checking my social media. You know, I'm tired of, of fucking everything. And it's fun to just open Ableton and start messing around with stuff. And, like, the stuff that I've been releasing recently has all been, like, flips and weird remixes of, like, video game music. A lot of Earthbound stuff. Because uh, they put Earthbound on the, the uh, SNES Virtual Console on the Nintendo Switch, so I've been having a lot of fun playing that, and uh, it's been really fun, and it kind of got my, it kind of got my creative juices flowing again, as people say, which I always thought is a weird thing to say, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it's been nice, and so now I've just been like, I have this little EP that I've been working on, uh, that I think I'm going to release pretty soon, and it's not flips of video game music, it's all like either original stuff or copyright-free samples that I got from, like, loop libraries and sample packs and stuff. 
And I think I might actually be able to put that one on Spotify as well as Bandcamp. So that'll be pretty cool. Well, uh, before we get to that, let's uh, take a big trip to the past. Sure. <laughs> actually, a uh, big trip to the past, pre-Luminaire, you could say. Um, what got you into music? Like, did you have a favorite singers or bands that uh, got you into music in general? Oh, that's an excellent question. Uh, I don't... It's hard for me to remember a time that I wasn't, like, into music, kind of. Like, I've always been one of those people where if I meet someone and they're like, oh, I don't really like music, I don't really listen to music, I've always thought that was just insane, just a truly deranged thing to say. Uh, so, but I, maybe, like, the artist that really first piqued my interest, if you want to really go back, I would say is, is Weird Al Yankovic. I think when I was maybe, like, seven or eight years old, uh, my friend, who's now my co-host on Work Stoppage, actually, Lena, and I, when we met in, like, third grade, I think, uh, she took, she was like, have you ever listened to Weird Al? Uh, and I was like, no. And she was like, do you know what Napster is? <laughs> and I was like, no. She was like, do you have the internet? And I was like, yeah, we just got it. We just got dial-up at my house, and, and my grandpa bought us our first computer. She was like, go download Napster, and then you can download Weird Al songs. <laughs> and I downloaded, like, a bunch of stuff from Weird Al, and then I got tired of, of like, morning DJ parody songs that were mislabeled as Weird Al. Yeah, I was, about to, I was about to ask, uh, okay, on Napster, were, your, were, were, like, your first Weird Al songs actual Weird Al songs, or uh, were they, like, mislabeled or intentionally mislabeled offensive parodies? Yeah, there was, I would say it was a two-to-one ratio of, like, legit Weird Al songs making up the majority, but weird, like, offensive morning DJ, shock jock covers, and, like, dudes recording stuff on, like, uh, the worst microphone you've ever heard also made up a pretty good percentage. Like, I think about that a lot, too, because, like, Weird Al... He hates that stuff. He always had good production value. Right, like you listen to his albums, they sound good. Like, yeah, the instruments are yeah, tight. yeah. And he's also, by his own definition, generally family friendly. Yes. So when you so when you listen to this stuff, and it's like, oh, that's Weird Al making um Holocaust jokes. It's like, yeah. no, no, wrong. nope, he hates that shit. Yeah, he 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 does hate that shit. It has kind of the same vibe as like. Bill Watterson hated the Calvin peeing on things, truck decals that everybody always has on the back of their truck for some reason. Yep. Uh, still see that to that stay. Yeah. But it, it kind of has the same energy. Like, I, I, um, I always wondered why, when I was a kid, I wasn't able to spot the fakes. Because they always sounded like shit. Like, when, um, when I was using uh, probably LimeWire at this point to download System of a Down songs... I got that, nice. that that famously mislabeled cover of the Legend of Zelda theme that kind of sounds like System of a Down, <laughs> but is definitely just a bunch of like teenagers fucking around in a bedroom. And uh, I loved it, and for years I stra- I thought like that this is a great System of a Down song. And then I listened to it again as an adult, like I don't know, five or six years ago maybe, and I was like. This sounds like shit. This was recorded on a potato. I don't know 
how anyone was ever fooled by this. I must have been so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, I used Kazaa back in the day, which um, okay. just, just completely destroyed my first laptop, an IBM ThinkPad. Because I, I didn't know anything about, like, spam protection or virusware. No, right. I just downloaded everything and it fucked up my computer. That's so funny. I was lucky that I avoided ever, like, permanently damaging any of the many family computers that we had. Uh, with Napster or file sharing specifically, I did break several family computers, but it was through my own, like over-eagerness to demonstrate that I knew what I was doing, and I ended up, like, fucking with things that you definitely shouldn't fuck with if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably my most noble thing I did on Kazaa was, uh, Matrix Reloaded came out, and I wanted to see uh. it, but, um, since it's radar, my mom would not let me, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna download it, and, uh, it took me about a week, because, you know, dial-up back then. Yep. I was so fucking excited, so I click on it. Not Matrix Reloaded. Fucking Ice Age. Oh my god. That's that's a slap in the face, too. I was so angry. No disrespect to Ice Age. I like Ice Age. The first movie, it's pretty funny. But when you're in the mood for Matrix Reloaded, (laughs) and you were confronted with Ice Age, that's a a real kick in the teeth. Right there. Yeah. But that's that's kind of what I loved about file sharing was like the lawlessness of it. And I think like the fact that file sharing was the way that I first got into pretty much every major art form except books. Because um, my family, my grandma was a librarian, so we always had like a billion books mm-hmm. around at any given time. Um, but like, I, you know, I first got into watching movies that weren't just what my parents liked to watch. Through file sharing, through my friend being like, hey, you should watch this movie Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. And then just like you said, like, hooking up to the dial-up internet connection uh, every night before I go to bed and disconnecting every morning before I wake up so that the phone will still work. And it taking, like, a week to download a a fucking, like, not even a one gigabyte file of a movie that's in like 240p and the audio track isn't quite synced to the video very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, after that debacle, I, uh, I basically just stuck to, uh, downloading single songs, uh, uh-huh. anime music videos, I was big into that. Oh, yeah, yeah. AMVs? Those yep. were a huge deal. Yep. Back when, back when, uh, you could still watch Naruto episodes cut up into three pieces on YouTube. Yep. You know, 1-3, 2-3. Yep, 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 yep. I, yep. That's how I watched Naruto, man. Like, nobody ever... I had a... Like, for some anime, I was lucky. I had a friend who had an uh, Evangelion box set. So I got to watch Evangelion on the portable DVD player that I won in uh, a round. There you go. You know, that was nice. And this was back, like... It, I didn't have a laptop or anything, so... To me, having, like, a portable DVD player, I was like, I'm balling right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm those were the shit right back now. then. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, uh, so, AMVs, which, uh, which actually on my YouTube channel, I have a playlist of all the AMVs I could remember. And okay. there's a lot of them on there. And, how uh... Many, how many are Linkin Park? Oh, shit, wow. <laughs> uh, a lot of tributes, I'll say that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. Oh. R.I.P. Chester, uh, <laughs> R.I.P. 
Did another guy from that band die, or am no, I just thinking no, of Chester? No, it's just Chester. Okay, because he also fronted Stone Temple Pilots for a little while after um, Scott, what's his name, died, and then um, and then he died, and I was like, wow, Stone Temple Pilots. Way to just fucking, way to just kill off frontmen like nobody else. Like, I know it's a grunge band, but goddamn, you know? Uh, you know why they were murdered, right? <laughs> why? Well, honestly, stop the Clinton child sex ring. <laughs> of course. God, I love that conspiracy theory. It says that, uh, not Jeffrey Epstein, the other guy who did the spirit cooking or whatever. I forget his name. Clinton aide. They claim that Chester's, like, actually his biological son. What? Yeah, some stupid stuff where it's like, you know, like, Alex Jones would do, like, facial matchings and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they claim that with, um, this dude. John Podesta, John Podesta. Really? Yeah, they claim John Podesta is the father of Chester Bankton. Okay, okay, now I have to look up John Podesta. Because he was in the news for a while. Yeah, for uh, yeah for spirit cooking and all that bullshit. Yeah, and then Chester Bennington. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and say probably not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seems it seems pretty reasonable to believe that they are not related. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a lot of, like, industry plants and, and fucking weirdos that got popular in music that I would believe uh, were, like, illegitimate sons and daughters of, of like, high-ranking uh, uh, members of state or corporations or whatever. I'm sorry, Chester Bennington just seems like a guy. <laughs> I, I totally believe that Chester Bennington is just a dude who was in a band that got popular. Yeah, <laughs> but... Being, like, very Emo, true. Atari Teenage Riot. <laughs> Very true, but uh, Mike Shinoda, though, that's another story. Yeah. Total CIA op, Mike Shinoda. Mike Shinoda, absolutely a CIA op. How else do you get? Uh, how else do you get the gig to do the soundtrack for the Raid Redemption? <laughs> <laughs> also, how can you be the only truly good rapper in new metal? Yeah. That's so true. Like, I think a lot of a lot of people have been going to bat for um, oh, what's the fucking Fred Durst band? Uh, Limp Biscuit. Limp Biscuit. Yeah, they did that fucking um, they did that like unofficial official music video recently where they're just like doing dad stuff and dressed like dads. Yeah, dad vibes. The what? Dad vibes. Dad vibes. That's it. I hated that. I thought it was so bad because it. it I, I was watching it and I was like, "Is this ironic?" And then I, I realized that like, you don't you don't come up in new metal by understanding irony. Uh, <laughs> and so I realized like, he's definitely like he's self aware, but I, I don't feel like he's uh, he's handling it well enough to like really lean into it because he didn't. They didn't go, like, full Tim and Eric with it. Which would have saved it. <laughs> that would have saved it. Oh, God. Fucking new metal Tim and Eric awesome show. I'm ready for it. I would I would watch new metal Tim and Eric awesome show, and I'm not even, like, um, like a new metal guy. Don't don't let my, my system of a down stories fool you. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, if, if we really want to get a new metal guy, we get Brian Quimby on here. That's 
that's that's right. That's the new metal guy that you want. He goes in the whole bag. He's also like a big wrestling guy. I don't I don't do wrestling. I don't do that stuff. <laughs> if, but, if, you, if you want to know my uh, my weird sports fascinations, it's darts and bowling. I love darts and bowling. <laughs> I'm just starting to get into them enough to like know the names of players and stuff. Well, uh, okay. Wow, we got really derailed here. Let's hey, let's get. <laughs> no, nah, that's the way hashtag powerful GSP is about. Just that's right. Hey, yeah, let's get back to Luminaire. Okay, we talked about what got you into music, mm-hmm. but uh, what got you into making music? Oh, uh, I mean, I just always wanted to make music, and um, when I was like in fifth grade, I was about to go into middle school, right, and the. Um, the, the band director from the middle school came around to the elementary school and gave us tests and, like, you know, had us clap along to beats and stuff. And I, uh, I did really well. Uh, and she was like, you can kind of play any instrument that you want, uh, but what we really need is low brass. So if you wanted to play trombone, uh, that would be awesome. And I was like, heck yeah, I'll play trombone. I, I like a slide. So I played <laughs> trombone for years and I got so fucking sick of band class. I was like, band class is so annoying. We just play the same few things over and over again. We have to stop every, you know, 10 seconds for the kid who's not getting it. And like, no offense to the people in the class. I understand this class dynamic has to happen this way, but like, um, I just like gradually started to get more and more interested in making my own music. And then I bought a bass guitar, which was a, a pretty big deal for me because I was like, yeah, a fucking rock instrument. This isn't a trombone. And uh, I had a high school band called Ducky Ducky, uh, which is a reference to something. I've never gotten a straight answer out of this. Ducky this Ducky. What it's a reference to. <sighs> and then, uh, okay, and then, I, I don't get it either. I'm like racking my brain of 90s cartoons right now. Yeah, I, I think it's to some, like, obscure fucking art film, because uh, the guys I was in the band with were, were, like, much more, like, indie bros than me. I was more of, like, a metal stoner kind of kid. Oh, uh, okay, I get it. So, you know, I'm playing bass in this band, you know, it's, I'm not being super serious about it, I'm just kind of getting my first taste of, like, what it's like to be in a musical project, and then uh, I do that throughout high school, and then after I graduate, my friend Lena, the same friend who, who showed me Weird Al, who I co-host a show with now, uh, went to music production school in Minnesota. And on the weekends, uh, I'd have her call me and just explain the stuff that she was learning. And then I would load up Ableton and like make my own versions of the stuff that they were learning in class. So I like to say that I kind of like stole my friend's music education <laughs> or like piggybacked on it, you know, <laughs> so I don't have to pay any like tuition or anything. <laughs> hey, all great artists steal. That's what they say. Yeah, but usually it's song ideas, not like the information about how to use a synthesizer <laughs> or whatever. So. Well, well, brother, times change. That's true. That's true. And I mean, like, I worry a lot about, um, well, I don't really, I guess, because this, this ties back to our, um, our conversation about, like, file-sharing websites, mm-hmm. which is, is the absolute chaos and, like, lawlessness and, and total subversion of intellectual property that came with, 
using those file sharing sites for so many years, like I always felt like an idiot every time I took my Barnes and Noble gift card and bought a CD. I'm like, I could have got these songs for free. I could have burned a CD for sixty nine cents. Nice, but like, <laughs> <laughs> like God, it's like God, God. Why am I giving these hardworking bands money? Exactly. I could it's just be cool. stealing from them. Well, and it's so funny because when I did start making electronic music, like the first thing me and my friends tried to do, we put together like a little micro label, you know, and we started, we got uh, the best, most premium tier SoundCloud account you could get. This was back when SoundCloud was like the bleeding fucking edge of electronic music. Uh, and we were like, we're going to put out a song a week, uh, every week, and try to do like a subscription thing. We were really early on the subscription style service tip. Uh, but we just weren't a big enough, like, micro-label to really kind of, like, pull it off effectively. And mm -hmm. I've always thought that it's so kind of, like, ironic and silly that the very first thing we tried to do was monetize the music, considering that, like, the backgrounds we all came from, like, experimental metal, math rock, um, IDM, and, like, glitchy electronic music people you know me and my friends we listen to like aphex twin and square pusher and plaid and like these aren't the most adventurous idm artists in the world but like they're weird they're fucking weird wait wait wait, wait. did you just say apex twins weren't adventurous <laughs> well that, that's like that's the world i exist in right where like my friend will come up and be like hey have you heard of this like band that are called like xb2 alpha 12 and i'm like no but that sounds like right up my fucking alley is it glitchy beat boop music and they're like it's very aggressively glitchy beat boop music and i'm like hell yeah let's let's fucking listen to it because to me like i i always felt very disconnected from what was popular like i okay well, well let me let me let me close off the one point i was trying to make before i get to the other one uh the, the lawlessness of, of file sharing has always inspired me to do lots of stuff that just, like, does not fucking care about where the sample comes from. And as long as I release the music for free, I can never get in trouble for it. So I just release a lot of free stuff that infringes on copyright like crazy. And it's really fun and easy. And anybody who tells you that you need to build every sound, every song that you make from the ground up without any help is an idiot. Uh, there's a great copy pasta about it online where it's like, you know, I, I thought using loops was cheating, so I wrote my own melodies. I thought writing my own melodies was cheating, so I built my own instruments. Uh, and then, you know, I thought I thought using pre-made drum heads was cheating, so I started herding goats to skin them and make drum heads. And I don't think a lot of with all the goat herding that I've been doing. Um, Truly DIY. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I have this philosophy that, like, you can operate any of those levels. If you want to use a fully formed, mixed and mastered song, from somebody else and make a song out of it by all means do it and if you want to like build every waveform from the bottom up by combining sine waves until they make the sounds you want you could do that just do whatever like feels appropriate for the project and uh so so that's like one thing is i have a very like anarchistic style about how i produce and then the other thing is i just i never belonged to a scene really in my life like i grew up in Saugatuck. You're a fellow West Michigander. You probably know where Saugatuck is, right? Oh, indeed I do. Matter, yeah. matter of fact, I was just there again this past weekend. You know, oh, yeah. just dreaming about going back to Oval Beach. Oh, I love Oval Beach. My mom gets me a sticker uh, to put on my car for the beach every summer, and I don't have... She has friends. You know, small town shit. She's like, I know city council members. They just give them to me. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> 
Very nice. At its finest. Um, but yeah, I never like belong to a scene because like there's no fucking scene in Sagatuck. There's like a tourist scene. Uh, there's like a kind uh, of like a vacationing Chicagoans scene. Oh, a what scene? Vacationing Chicagoans. Yeah, vacationing Chicagoans. There's still a pretty well thriving like gay culture in Sagatuck, for lack of a better way to describe it. But I feel like that's kind of been on a slow and gentle decline since uh, the 60s and 70s when Saugatuck was like an oasis where you could show up and not be straight, uh, whereas now it's kind of more widely accepted across most of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, although that's a can be a tricky issue to talk about. But like, yeah, there's there's no like there's no metal scene around here. There's no punk scene. What am I? What am I going to drive up to Holland with my friends and go see some local band that's just a bunch of like sons and daughters of youth pastors and assistant football <laughs> coaches? Like, no way, man! Fucking boring. Like, everybody see, around here was always into like law dispute and and like um, Chiodos and stuff. And I always thought that the the, the screamo emo mallcore shit just fell so flat on me. I was like, I want to listen to math rock, and they were like, move to Sacramento. <laughs> okay uh final preliminary question then uh sure what what instruments can you play like can you list them all oh um shit i guess yeah uh i mean i i can still play trombone i've busted it out a few times in my adulthood and you know uh i can't sight read complicated music but i i, I can play a melody and uh i'm pretty proficient at bass guitar and guitar. Uh, I'm very, very proficient at drums. I would say drum set is like my primary instrument. And then um, I'm learning keyboards. Let's put it that way. I could play piano pretty good when I was like 14, but it's kind of like my high school Spanish. Like it has gone away. I need to relearn (laughs) the the finger skills. And then that's pretty much it. Unless you count uh, Ableton Live, as an instrument, I'm super good at Ableton. Oh, excuse me. I'm super good at Ableton Live. I've been using it for over ten years. Okay, now. what is Ableton Live? Ableton Live is a digital. It's a digital audio workstation, or a DAW, or a DAW, as they're frequently mm-hmm. referred to. Uh, and it's very similar to Pro Tools. Um, it's very similar to uh, Logic or um, what's the other one? Cubase. People use a lot, but while it does most slash all in some cases of the things that those programs do, uh, it's also like extremely, extremely unique in that it's kind of, it's kind of arranged differently. Um, and it's meant to be used more for like experimentation really? necessarily for like, uh, uh, just like finalizing projects. Like if you, if you want to just do a mixing and mastering session and you're a pro mix or mastering engineer or something, there's a very good chance you'll just be using Pro Tools or Cubase or, or what's called an audio editing software. Whereas I think Ableton claims to not specifically be an audio editing software. They call themselves like an audio manipulation software. It's all very fuzzy, but oh, so- the long and short of it is just Ableton is the program that I know how to use. And it's super powerful, and I fucking love it. It rocks so much. Okay, so is it is it comparable to like Audacity or GarageBand? Yes, but it has like um, it has a lot of uh, 
uh, plugins built into it. So, like, in Audacity or GarageBand, if you wanted to use a compressor, you would probably have to download, like, a VST plugin and then load it up in the program. Whereas, like, I open Ableton and they have, like, a pretty solid uh, list of built-in instruments, synthesizers, drum racks, audio effects, like EQ, compression, delay, reverb, uh, filter, flanger, gate, you know, everything. And uh, over the years, I've just, like, I've kind of sat down with every single one of them at one point or another, except the beat repeat. Fuck the beat repeat. I'm never learning that. Uh, but <laughs> there's, a, there's a few, I'll just manually edit my sample. There's a, there's a few of them um, that are like that. But for the most part, I, I've learned how to use every single one of them. And uh, actually, I'm a little behind now in, in this uh, year of our Lord 2022 because I'm still using Ableton Live 9 and Ableton Live 11 is the current version. And I could update, but I don't really want to deal with it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, uh, all right then. Uh, We're on the moment we've all been waiting for. Luminaire. Uh, When did the music project officially start? Oh, God, I I couldn't even tell you for sure. I think it was probably around 2017. And uh, originally, it was very different from what it is now. I actually played out live as Luminaire a lot when I was living in Pittsburgh because my buddy was this um, show promoter who would put on shows and, and book my bands. And at that time, I was in a couple of uh, bands, a math rock band and a hardcore punk band. And he always had these opener slots that he could never get filled. And I'd, I'd be at the shows a lot of the time anyway. You know, I'd pay my five bucks and bring some beers and hang out and see all the people that I'd seen because they came to my shows and I go to their shows. You know, it's a, it's a scene. It was it was more of a DIY kind of emo scene, but I, I got my math rock and my punk bands to kind of slot in pretty good for a while, so that was nice. <laughs> and um, the thinking behind Luminaire was that I would write songs that sound like uh, video game music and I would play drums along to them. And... It went really well. I recorded a few demos. Uh, they're not online anymore because uh, I I got older and decided they sounded like shit. But, uh, they did, trust me. Um, but they were pretty interesting songs. They were very heavily video game influenced, pretty heavily math rock inspired. A lot of like weird time signatures, uh, chunky riffs, stuff like that. Unusual sounds. Sometimes I would use like familiar sounding sound effects from old movies or, or like uh, the Super Nintendo uh, library of games, which is very, very special to me, a uh, favorite generation of gaming. And um, I had a lot of fun. I would play these like 30-minute opener sets before a few other bands would go on. And uh, what I would do is I would just load the song files up onto my Roland SPDSX, which is like normally used as like a drum trigger pad like you're like oh check it out i have a cool tambourine sound that sounds a little crazy wild and wacky i can use that while i'm playing drums um but i would just load whole songs onto it at a time and so to start the song i would just hit one of the pads and then with my other with with the drumstick and with my other hand i would hit you know the first crash cymbal or hi-hat of the song and just start playing Hmm. It was pretty fun. Um, and then gradually, just, just like so many other things in my life, I kind of decided to move in a totally new direction for a little while, And but I kept the name. So I was like, okay, I'm not playing drums anymore. I'm just producing 
these songs. And I'm not doing video game inspired. I'm going to flip video game music pretty often. Uh, but I'm going to keep the name because it's from my favorite video game of all time, Chrono Trigger. And also its sequel. It's also in Chrono Cross, which just got remastered on the Switch. It was banging. Yeah, if, uh, if I remember right on your Bandcamp description, it says uh, Luminaire is the hardest strike in the game. Yeah, yeah, the most powerful attack in the game. Ah, yeah. shoot. Most powerful attack. Yeah, yeah, and it hits all enemies. And uh, when I was a kid playing Chrono Trigger with my dad, uh, I was always really excited when we finally got our guys. Because we played through you know, pretty frequently. We'd start new games, we'd start new game pluses, all that jazz. And, uh, Every time we unlocked fucking Luminaire, I was like, okay, this is it. Now we can fucking, we can beat anything. You just use Luminaire over and over again, you whoop everything's ass. Um, and so that's like, I guess that's what I wanted to like, have come across. And it also, um, it's, a, it, it's an elemental type attack in the game, which means that in the menu that you go to to select what kind of special attack you're using, it has a, it has a white star outline next to it. Mm-hmm. And so, whenever, whenever the website that I'm using to upload my stuff or, or promote, you know, or whatever, if it allows that character, I will put a little star in front of Luminaire. But if it doesn't, no big deal. It can just be Luminaire. Just the because it's not like I. It's not like when I introduce my project to people, I'm like, check it out, my project Star Luminaire. It's, <laughs> it's, it's just Luminaire. <laughs> yeah. Hey everyone. Uh... Thanks for coming. But before we start, I gotta explain the exact origin of this uh, of this band name. Now it starts with a game you might have heard of. It's called Chrono Trigger. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's like the thing too. It's like uh, I've always really resented naming stuff. So if I think of a name that I don't even have to like it necessarily, like Luminaire, I would say it's like a B plus name. It's pretty good. I'm pretty happy with it. But the main thing is that like. I've never found it cringe. It's never made me like want to wince in, in like embarrassment, which is my main like litmus test for for um, what to name things. Because we always had so much trouble naming things. Like I had a band with a couple of my friends that was called Radio Signal. So it was Radio Signal with an H at the beginning that you say really hard. You say uh, Radio Signal. <laughs> And everyone always asked us, they were like, how did you come up with that name? And I was like, we got really high and insisted that we don't stop trying to come up with a name until we come up with one that we like. And so we listed off like hundreds, maybe even over a thousand names. Like seriously, we sat around for like four or five hours (laughs) just saying names to each other and saying no in response. And then I said, what about radio signal? And we all laughed so fucking hard that we named the band that. Dude, and dude, what you should have done was uh, what Don Glover did and use a Wu-Tang name generator. Yeah, <laughs> I should have used the Wu-Tang name generator. I should probably get in touch with my with, with, with the side of me that just like wants to procedurally generate <laughs> names for things because I always sit around, like I agonize over them. Like often more... I spend more time, maybe not more, more thought goes into the names of things than the actual songs or projects, but I do spend, like, a disproportionate amount of time trying to get the names of things right. Yeah, was, uh, 
What uh, did you uh, consider uh, any other names for Luminaire? Uh, I did. I, I I had a few other names floating around, but I'm gonna be honest with you. There's not a, a goddamn chance I'm gonna remember any one of them. I I, I, I do this thing where I make like Google documents periodically. Well, and, I, I uh, mean, you just said that you came up with like a thousand names for a previous band, so uh, yeah, yeah, it makes sense you don't remember all of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was literally looking up. Uh, some old song titles from one of my other bands just to give you some examples of stuff that we would name things uh, like we had a song on one of on the High Def EP that we released that was the name of the band High Def and we spelled it like high like weed and deaf like can't hear we thought it was so fucking clever at the time um, <laughs> and we, you know we call our songs like Jazz Gives Me a Headache or Stop Giving Us Phone Books <laughs> or uh, Moses went a walking because they're just things that I said at some point, and we, we were all like, "Oh Moses went a walking." <laughs> all of a sudden, that's just a thing that that's that's getting said around the house. Because I mean, uh, I think that's maybe part of what prepared me for all of the in jokes and constant self reference of podcasting is that when when I was doing music stuff really seriously for many years. Um, Primarily, the people that I was making music with were also my roommates. So whenever I was home, I was just, like, marinating in this environment of people who know each other really well and have, like, a long history of in-jokes and creative projects and, and that stuff together. So I guess when I say that I've never really been part of a scene, it's not exactly true, but it's just that, like, my particular scene was, like, five people tops. <laughs> They're nearly a one-man army, pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, at this point, I feel crazy because I have my 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 finger in, in so many pies or whatever the fucking expression is. People are like, oh, so you make music and you podcast and you work and, you know, you read and you have time for that and you play video games? <laughs> How do you do it? And I'm like, man, if I stop to think about it, that would be precious time I could be spending playing video games or reading. <laughs> ah, gotcha. <laughs> Okay, so uh, what genre? What genres are Luminaire? Uh, from what I've listened to, and uh, I swear I did not look at the Bandcamp labels. When I, was, <laughs> I uh, personally identified uh, electronic sampling, hip hop, chip tune, chill wave, and sound collage. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, definitely, definitely sound collage and chip tune are big are big for me because uh, I, I just, I love old video game music and I love like 90s crate digging ass um, like record producers like I, I I was one of many teenagers who I'm sure had, had a, a revelatory moment where I first listened to Organ Donor by DJ Shadow and I was just like, this is it, I want to make breakbeats with crazy instruments over them hmm. um, and then I downloaded like introducing and stuff so yeah, I mean, like definitely that. I, I've always been fascinated by. Uh, there's a few names for it. It's called like Sample Dahlia or Plunder Phonics. Sample Dahlia. Yeah, it, it's like Fat Boy Slim and Avalanches and this kind of like big beat. Oh, okay. Now I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. It's this side of big beat that started to get into making like these '60s and '70s sounding kind of grooves but in a electronic, breakbeat-driven dance music con context. 
And I always thought that sounded so fucking good. Like, if you've never just sat down and listened to Brimful of Asha and Norman Cook remix by um, Corner Shop, remixed by Norman Cook, which is Fatboy Slim's real name, because uh, he, he released music under so many names. Uh, he, has, he has, like, the world record for the most Grammys under different aliases, I think. Um, and uh, if you never listen to Brimful of Asha with headphones on, Oh my fucking god! Do yourself a favor. It's it's such an incredibly good song. Um, so yeah, I take influence from that. I mean, I listened to a lot of like British rap when I was in high school, so my beat production style takes a lot of influence from that. So it's like kind of a mix of more traditional hip hop and like drill, Prime. And, like, reggae influence and stuff like that. Yeah, what was that British uh, hip hop genre called? Grime, I believe. Yeah, Grime. There's Grime, there's UK Drill, there's a few of them. I was really into Roots Manuva when I was in school, because I always thought he had, like, a really cool mix of, like, reggae, free associative-inspired kind of, like, spiritualism, and just, like, hard-hitting, repetitive, but still fucking, like, interesting and jarring and antagonistic kind of beats. And, um... I, I listened to his albums like Brand New Second Hand and uh, Dub Come Save Me. Those were my two favorites. For, like, those have been in constant rotation since I was like 15, so half my life at this point. Oh, okay. Alright, so uh, what is the recording process like for, say, a typical Luminaire song? Is <laughs> a typical Luminaire a, song. A typical song. A typical song, yeah. I... I, I it depends. If I'm trying to make something, I have like two modes. So one is I just like flip music that I like already and make songs out of it. And usually what happens there is I'll just be like listening to music and uh, especially if it's video game music. And a song will come up that I hadn't remixed yet or hadn't really thought to mess with and I'll kind of get like an idea. I'm like, oh, this would sound good as like um, as like bass music or this would sound good as like a trip hop song or this would this has like kind of drum and bass energy i think i could do like a uh, bass uh, god damn it trip hop i forgot yeah, to yeah. mention i forgot to notice that oh yeah yeah trip, trip hop's really big for me um because like as far as popular musicians go back was and gorillas were always like two of my favorites oh yeah oh yeah gorillas yeah they're both very very heavily inspired by trip hop and, and hip hop in general and um, there was a compilation because there was a there was a Beck song I downloaded. It all comes back to file sharing. Um, there was a Beck song I downloaded off of a file sharing website, and I was looking it up and I couldn't figure out which album it was supposed to be on. And then it turns out it was on this um, compilation called "Trip to the Chip Shop" uh, by 110 Below, and it had like "Do Back" by Uncle on it and like motherfucking ghost which is a great song and uh it has like this ultramatic ultramagnetic mc's track on it and uh i looked it up and it was like yeah it's a trip-hop compilation album and i was like what the fuck is trip-hop and then you know cue two straight years of me listening to like boards of canada portis head like all <laughs> that stuff you know <laughs> yeah speak it back have you uh God, I think it was his first album. You ever check out uh, Golden Feelings? Oh, yeah, yeah. Golden Feelings and all that like weird early stuff. Very noisy, but very, very good if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, Golden Feelings is fucking wild. 
it sounds like it was recorded on like one of those desktop um, fucking cassette recorders that like you see police use in interview scenes in old movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not a huge Beck fan, but I did download that entire album, which and I love it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, other than that is that and you know the song loser yeah loser loser for sure for me it was like uh being a kid in west michigan in the late 90s and early 2000s when i heard the songs that were coming off of guero and odelay at the time you know like uh girl and epro and stuff like that i was like there's some kind of like weird spot that this dude is hitting that like nobody else is hitting he's doing hip-hop he's doing alternative and like post-grunge inspired stuff but it's in this context where there's like banjo and a slide guitar and like funk drums and a horn section and like weird backup singers and stuff and just shit that and just shit that you can't even recognize yeah yeah just stuff you've never even heard before mouth harp and like you know, uh, samples from, from like weird old sample packs. Like when he, when he produced, um, uh, Odelay, I think he was working with the, the Dust Brothers at that time. And they, he basically said in some interviews, he's like, they just brought their sample pack and we just kind of vibed out. And I selected samples for days at a time and we just put songs together and it was awesome. Um, and then, you know, he's, he's done a lot more like chamber, rock and pop stuff recently which i think uh, there's been some really good songs but is not as much my speed as the early 2000s stuff which is like where i think he really shines but i do also love like i love golden feelings i love one foot in the grave uh i love all that old weird shit i, I still listen to the feel like a piece of shit saga um the trio of songs that's on one of those albums when i when i'm having a really bad hangover day <laughs> Wow, I never considered that for a hangover cure, listening to Beck. Well, the best hangover cures in my experience are you listen to your favorite, most obscure uh, music from a a cult classic 90s artist. Um, It it could be Beck, it could be Cake, it could be Soul Coughing, um, it could be anybody. I mean, you can even kind of get away with Stone Temple Pilots, but it doesn't really work. They were a hit factory. Um, But uh, they're basically a pop band. But the other best hangover cures are, of course, a little bit more to drink in the morning. Not much. Maximum one beer. Um, and a big old fucking plate of something sweet and that has a lot of rice. I recommend General Tso's chicken, but there are a lot of options. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, I will have to investigate that then, actually. <laughs> Granted, uh, my hangovers have become less and less, but... You know, that's kind of what happens when you're a raging alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> Kidding. I've been, I've been, like, cutting way back on drinking, but I've found that it hasn't eliminated my hangovers so much as highlighted them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, when you wake up a little bit hungover every day, which is what I did for a long time, you don't notice that you're hungover. You're like, I feel bad because I just woke up. But then, when you start cutting your drinking down to, like, three or four days a week and one of those days you drink significantly more than on the other days that you drank you wake up the next day and you're like wow I feel like shit (laughs) I feel terrible no I have never had that pleasure like I always knew why I was hung over 
<laughs> and uh, yeah, I just I just don't drink as much anymore. I mean, I still drink a lot compared to a lot of people, but uh-huh. I'm not like waking up at five in the morning anymore for work, like a splitting headache. Yeah, which is no, which is good because that's awful. <laughs> no, yeah, I can't do that anymore. I don't know how people go through their whole lives doing that. Like, you know, I'm 30 now. I'm gonna oh, fuck my birthday's coming up in June. I'm gonna be 31 pretty soon. Shit, I'm um, gonna be 35 in June. Okay, well then I that, that makes me feel bad. Hey, June gang, fuck yeah! <laughs> I don't do astrology, but we are the coolest one because we're two whole ass people. Um, uh, I'm June 8th. How about you? Oh, 15th, yeah. Ah, okay. Yep. All right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But, um, like, as I get older, I'm like, man, I gotta start fucking taking better care of myself. Like, it's not just going to the doctor and getting, like, a rock taken out of your elbow. It's, like, <laughs> the middle of the day rolls around, and I start to think, like, man, I haven't even eaten a green thing yet. I need to get my hands on a fucking mouthful of lettuce or a half an avocado or something a piece of broccoli like yeah I, I, I was always so suspicious that like that instinct would never manifest and now that it has I'm like a little bit resentful I'm like I was kind of hoping I wouldn't have to deal with you <laughs> yeah my, mine was always like wow I feel like shit and I'm not famous like I wanted to yet like <laughs> like it worked so well for Bukowski why not me yeah, why, why can't it be me? Why aren't, I, why aren't I in my hero's position? Although, you know what's crazy is, like, I ended up getting to meet a lot of my heroes. Like, when I was playing in a math rock band, we opened for a band called Giraffes Giraffes that I really, really loved. Um, and, you know, years go by. Now I'm Facebook friends with the drummer from that band. Uh, and he just posted recently that he's, like, going back to school to pursue a master's degree in music composition. And I was oh, like, oh, hmm. I would have thought you already had that. <laughs> you know, you're such a good fucking composer, so... And why would you even need that if you're famous already with this other stuff? Yeah, well, it's kind of funny, because I, I guess I always thought that, like, these scenes that I was really into were bigger than they are. Like, stoner metal and math rock are pretty easy scenes to hit the ceiling on. Like, I've met almost all of my heroes from both of those genres. Like, the, the scorecard's only got a dozen names left on it. And I've, I've met dozens and dozens of people from those teams that I wanted to meet. And I was never, like, a big fish, either. Like, I had a couple of bands that were pretty popular around Pittsburgh if you needed an opener for that sort of show specifically. Like, that's the highest level I ever achieved in, in my, like, music so-called career. And it still gave me access. Like, I met the guys from And So I Watch You From Afar, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I met the guys from Giraffes, Giraffes, I met the guys from Terramellos, I met the guys from Weed Eater. You know, really? I Weed met, Eater? Yeah, fucking Weed Eater, they were so fucking rad. <laughs> fucking love Weed Eater. Oh, uh, about to ask, uh, Stoner Metal, did you ever meet the guys from Electric Wizard? No, I haven't met anybody from Electric Wizard. Ah, uh, man, they're awesome. Man, that's, they're so awesome, I love that band. They seem like really, really cool people, I love that band too. Uh, I have had... Facebook conversations with multiple members of Sleep, though. I've never actually met Oh, shit, really? Uh, yeah, what are they like? They're huge. Uh, my, my buddy um, Tanner, he works in like the, the concert and like live event industry, and every time he gets a chance, he uploads a new selfie with Al Cisneros, and I'm like, god damn, I, I haven't met Al Cisneros 
once. <laughs> You've met him like 15 fucking times. God, it's been so long since I listened to their album. Was it The Holy Mountain? Holy Mountain, yeah, and Dope Smoker, those are both great. And then The Sciences from just a couple years ago, their big like comeback album, Fucking Whips, it's so good. God, I gotta get back into them. process is like um how has it changed since the project started uh it's gone through like a billion phases it's totally different all the time and even just in the last few months i've started doing something completely different from what i used to do before um so i guess what i really like about luminaire is that it just offers me an opportunity to change my process and change what kind of like goals i'm aiming at pretty routinely which, like, allows for a lot of growth, which is pretty fun. All right. Okay, uh, actually, you kind of already talked a lot about uh, performing as Luminaire. That was all in uh, Pittsburgh, correct? Yeah, yeah, that was all around uh, the greater Pittsburgh area. Okay, so let's see. Um, Starting in 2017, and uh, by my own count on Bandcamp, you have three albums, five EPs, 11 singles. Yeah, overall, what has the reception for the music project been? Uh, pretty good. Um, it's been pretty mild. Like, I don't get a ton of, of traction. I don't think most people are, like, you know, really going out of their way to look up this math rock drummer slash podcaster slash, you know, guy who never really decided to just do one thing and stick to it. They're not like, I wonder what his electronic music sounds like. Um, but I just uploaded enough of it over the years that, like, Every once in a while, somebody leaves me a nice review or buys something. You know, even though the songs are free, they'll they'll do pay what you want. They'll pay me five dollars, and I wake up and I have a PayPal notification. It's like you've got five dollars, um, and that's pretty nice. I really appreciate it when people do that. Um, but it it's pretty niche. It's pretty niche stuff. So uh, I feel like I've mostly gotten the response I want, which is just that, like, the people who are into this sort of thing have slowly, gradually made their way to finding it, and, uh, nobody's ever, nobody's ever told me, like, hey, I think your songs suck, so, <laughs> that's good, you know, everyone's been supportive, so I, I appreciate it. Yeah, that's good, as a, as another artist as well, writer, podcaster, mm-hmm. and musician now, I might add, uh, yeah. I can confirm that it does indeed rock to not be told you suck yeah absolutely it's always a it's always a small blessing yeah like when i was little when i was learning how to do all this stuff you know the pressure is on so high when you're in school or when you're starting your first project ever or you know whatever the case may be it's like now i'm 30 
almost 31, and, like, I don't really give a shit anymore. And I feel like the art that's coming out of, you know, me and, and, and everything that I've been working on, it's, like, better than ever. <laughs> Everybody always told me, like, you're going to have to focus, you're going to have to grind so hard. And, like, it turns out that experience is worth so much more than effort. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> Plus, plus, at least I find this with my case. Uh, yeah, as you get older, you're just getting weirder. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely fucking getting weirder. And, like, that's crazy, too, because, like, I've always notoriously been, like, the weird one in my family. The weird one even in most of my friends' groups, unless there's, like, a particularly insane person in that friend group. Um, but, yeah, everybody told me, they're like, as you get older, you'll get more normal. And I'm like, I think as I get older, I've been just getting gradually... Uh, less normal. You know, I don't know what I've been getting, but it's not normal. Well, it's the same people that say that you'll become more conservative as you get older. Yeah, and I mean, see how well that I turned am, out. I'm gradually shifting from being an anarchist to being a Marxist. So, is that more conservative? Hard to answer. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a slow. I too am slowly morphing in my political views. Uh, went from liberal to anarchist. To just socialists, because I'm a coward who doesn't want to get into labels. But yeah, uh, yeah. but I'm well, I, but I'm slowly I, getting to another thing. Uh, I can't forget what I forget what the name is, but basically it combines Trotskyism with uh, space dolphins. Maybe you heard <laughs> of it. Oh yeah, you're gonna be king of the Posadists in no time, left. Yes, yes, there it is. That's slowly what I'm getting into. Uh, you know, you should read up on it. He makes a lot of good points. You know what's crazy is people talk a lot of crazy shit about Jay Posadas. He was a crazy motherfucker. He believes in insane things. But before he was systematically tortured by U.S. intelligence, and even after, he also made some really good points. (laughs) (laughs) He seemed like a very, very smart guy. I think there's a reason he was kind of like singled out by by, uh, various intelligence agencies over the years. Well, uh, as we say on this podcast, if... uh... You're noble enough for the CIA to torture you. You probably have at least one good idea. That's right. At least one idea that was dangerous to them. All right. So I gotta give it up for Posadas. <laughs> I give it up for all the crazy ones. I those are my favorite like Marxists is the ones who truly lost their minds. Like Enver Hoxha, or however you say that name, Hoxha from Albania. That guy was nuts. But again, <laughs> you read the stuff he wrote. There's a lot of good stuff in there. <laughs> Man, you know a lot more inter- interesting uh, weirdo leftists than I do. Most of the ones I do are kind of more annoying. You know, they'll say stuff like, well, if you really want to change things, you should buy a gun and vote green. <laughs> it's like, it's like, uh, yeah. it's like I, I agree with both, but come on, dude. Yeah, I love voting for notable socialist revolutionary Jill Stein. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, Howie Hawkins was pretty cool. Howie Hawkins was not too bad. My friends over on um, Mandatory OT did an interview with him, and it was pretty interesting, I gotta say. God, uh, what I f- really found interesting about him was that he was um, buddies with a Bookchin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah and suppose and I guess Murray Bookchin... Actually, kind of had a hand in starting the green movement here in America. Yeah, Larry Bookchin was like, he was on the sidelines of so many, not even on the sidelines, like he was in a ton of different movements, but like, 
he had like a falling out with uh, Bernie Sanders back in the 1980s. Whoa, really? Before Bernie Sanders was like a nationally known political figure at all and was just like a pretty popular guy in Vermont. Uh, yeah, because they both lived in Burlington and they got into some sort of dispute. I don't remember what it was about, uh, but Bookchin wrote this scathing and I think mostly correct review of Bernie Sanders. But you can, like, when you read it, there's so much, like, petty bullshit interspersed between the good points. Oh, uh, yes. To really give Bookchin the credit, you know? <laughs> yeah, I do like Bookchin overall. He's very fascinating, but, uh, yeah, he was. Definitely in the grumpy old man category. Yes, well, that's like what attracted me to him. Because like when I first started getting more interested in Marxism, I felt like uh, I had some critiques of it that were not necessarily fully formed in my mind, but I kind of like instinctively understood. And so I reached out for a lot of like the most fringe Marxist, most fringe anarchist kind of ideas very early in my political development. And now that I've learned a lot more of the core stuff, you know, fundamentals of Marxism-Leninism, dialectical material, I wouldn't say I'm a Marxist-Leninist, but it's important to know this stuff because they've been very successful throughout history. Um, and dialectical materialism, historical materialism, actually reading Capital, um, reading bits of the Grundrisse and stuff like that. And um, I, I kind of thought, like, as that happened, I would be less interested in these fringe Marxists. And I'm only more interested. <laughs> I, I, I like want to do. I want to start being like a video essay guy and being like, "What? What bookchin got right and wrong?" <laughs> and and weird number six will shock you. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I will never for, forgive a bookchin for was uh, he popularized the whole lifestyleist label. Yeah. Because holy shit, uh, in both po- in both the political scenes I was involved in and. Hell, even punk rock, if you want to go that far. Jesus, you know how many times I've had to deal with the term lifestyleist being used? It's insane, and I think most people don't even, like, know what it means anymore. It's kind of like the original emotional labor, where it used to mean something very specific, and now it's just kind of like a catch-all phrase for, I don't like that, don't yeah, really do that. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I don't like this person, or... I'm actually kind of jealous of this person, what they're accomplishing. Right. Yeah, they're a lifestyleist compared to right. me. Exactly. <sighs> okay, we're getting into politics, and this is a Christian podcast, so we uh, got to get off it. That's right. We, we don't uphold Murray Bookchin. We uphold Jesus Christ on this podcast. Exactly. Comrade Jesus. <laughs> actually, I think the cross is holding him up if you look at the picture pretty close. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I must investigate this further. <laughs> All right, so uh, what's the future of Luminaire? Uh, I have a EP slash album that's going to be coming out pretty soon. Uh, I'm really excited about it. I'm going to get it on Spotify, I think. I'm just going to self-release it um, and not really worry about trying to get a label. But the thinking is is that if the songs are, um, they don't infringe on any copyright and people are impressed enough with them, then maybe in the future, one of these smaller labels might be interested in cutting me a very small check to produce something? Ooh, I don't know. Maybe there will be a wide enough 
uh, diversity of genres that I explore in my upcoming self-released album, where one of these uh, labels could say, hey, I really like the way he does those Beep Boop Aphex Twin-inspired songs, or hey, I particularly like the trip-hop songs on this album, and then they could say to me, hey, John, would you like to make an EP or an album of songs that sound like that? And I would say, songs that sound like that, that's kind of my whole deal. <laughs> yeah, you hear that? Fueled by Ramen, Psychopathic Records, all these That's great right. indie labels. Check out Luminaire. Please, please, drop by my band camp and uh, don't be put off by the fact that you definitely could not release any of the stuff I have uploaded because it all infringes wildly on copyright. There will be new music that doesn't do that soon. And I'm going to charge for it on Bandcamp, which is like seems insane to me because I've been giving my music away for free for so long. But if I own the rights to it, well, maybe I will charge you $4.20. Yeah, God, actually, uh, recently I uh, was talking to a friend of mine because uh, with my own project, I have a cover that I did from another real lo-fi indie artist. Uh-huh. And uh, this friend of mine, back with his hip-hop music project, he released a cover of Sabotage by the Beastie Boys and uh, Hits from the Bong by Cypress Hill. Oh, uh, right. Yep, and they're both on Bandcamp. You can still get them. And I just straight up asked him, like, hey, because uh, like, I was looking to like, copyrights and everything in regards to doing this cover. And I was like, dude, you you put on their cover songs by like To The Grace hip-hop artists of all time, like, how'd you get away with it? And, uh, two reasons he said was, uh, one, on the band camp, those covers are available for free. You know, the rest of the tracks cost money, but those are for free. Right. And he just said that straight up, uh, yeah, people don't report him to the label. Yeah, I mean, like, Nintendo is so famously litigious, and so much of the music that I use to make my songs belongs to Nintendo. <laughs> and uh, it's, like, fine, because it's, like, if anybody at Nintendo actually listens to my music and decides to report it to their boss, I'm just going to get excited to have a cease and desist letter from Nintendo to post to Twitter, you know? <laughs> so that'll probably get a bunch of fucking likes. And that's as good as somebody listening to my music. It's all the same. Like, as far as any of my projects go, if you like Luminaire, if you like my podcasts, if you like my tweets, that's that's all basically the same to me. I just like it when people like the stuff I do, pretty much. <laughs> all right. All right, dude. Uh, I believe that concludes the section on Luminaire that I wanted to talk about. Okay. And uh, before we move on to Michigan, uh, we have a commercial break. Nice. All right, folks, we'll be right back. Hello, everybody. Gilbert Gottfried here. And in case you haven't heard, I'm fucking dead! The good news is, I'm in heaven. The bad news, it turns out, that heaven literally will let in anyone. I mean, just the other day, I saw Adolf Hitler making out with Jeffrey Epstein. And all because I made the greatest 9-11 joke of all time. But you know what I do whenever I feel a little bit sad being up in this hellscape? I listen to the Garrett Schelke Podcast. The podcast where writer Garrett Schelke talks to friends, acquaintances, and favorite people. Boy, do I love this podcast. You know, when I'm 
It makes me wish I was still down in on Earth doing voiceovers for YouTubers and TikToks. Since, you know, I can't couldn't get any voice work afterwards due to making the greatest 9-11 joke of all time. You can listen to the Garishalki Podcast on Spotify, Anchor, YouTube, Internet Archive, Deezer, and all these other streaming services that you might just cancel in the future because Joe Rogan's still on it. You can check him out on Twitter, at Shalky Podcast, and on Facebook, and other things that would probably censor my jokes these days. Well, I gotta go. Ew, is that Mao Zedong eating out? God, that's a good one. Hmm. Ah, fuck it, I won't tell you. You can think up for yourself. That's me, Gilbert Gottfried, telling you to listen to the Garrett Shelke Podcast. I'm out. Bye. Okay, folks, we're back, and uh, wow, what a great commercial that was. Doesn't this make you want to listen to this podcast more? I bet it does. It fucking does. <laughs> okay, so let's, let's very quickly get into some, some Michigan stuff. As a uh, fellow Michigander, I like to talk about this with other Michiganders. So, so uh, JPZ, you were born in Saga Talk, correct? Yeah, well, technically born in Holland Hospital, but I grew up in Saga Talk, yeah. Uh, anyway. de- details, details. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh... Saga Tuck, which uh, we talked about a little bit, is a famous small resort town here in southwest Michigan. It's uh, famous for being for being a beach place. It's famous for being, you know, in artistic residences. Famous for being an LGBT hotspot. Mm-hmm. But uh, what was it like growing up for you there? I mean, it was kind of interesting. My family was very, very well uh, ingratiated into the local community. My mom's mom, my grandma, was the assistant librarian for the entire Saugatuck Public School District. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, she'd be at the elementary school. And then Tuesdays and Thursdays, she would be at the middle and high school. So the entire time I went to school, my grandma was in the building. And, like, you know, if teachers caught me doing stuff or whatever, they would just report directly to my grandma and then my mom was involved in like the local art scene she did like jewelry and beadwork uh, and stuff like that she helped work at like a bunch of different local artist co-ops and then my aunt leora my my mom's sister was the dispatcher for the inner urban which is like a local bus service around saugatuck and douglas that operates more like a taxi. Like you call mm-hmm. them and you say, I need to go from here to here. And they come pick you up and it costs a dollar. Really? Um, yeah, it's really nice. I think it costs more now, but it's still really, really cheap because they're like, um, they're funded by the state or maybe the federal government. I forget how it works exactly. I'm actually going to have to look that up sometime. Yeah, it's really fun. And if you're ever, you know, it's a, it's a big party town. Saugatuck and Douglas are both big drinking towns. So if you're drunk, and you need a ride back to your hotel or whatever. The urban is a really good um, is a really good system compared to like paying out you know out the ass for some kind of cab or something. Yeah, um, actually, I am going to be looking that up since uh, I'm spending Memorial Day weekend in uh, Saugatuck. 
Oh, nice. Heck yeah, I'll probably be down there hanging out with my dad. We should get together. Oh, nice. Um, uh, we'll we'll talk about that later. We'll, we'll, talk, about, we'll talk about that off mic. Um, yeah. Which, but, uh, which by the way, if, if you you mentioned, by the way, if you uh, need to leave all of a sudden, just say so. It's cool, dude. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll let you know. Um, and growing up in Sagatuck was just like kind of crazy because it was such a small town for most of the year. You know, um, fall, winter, early spring. There's like nobody there. Sagatuck is like two thousand people. Douglas is significantly less. Uh, and then like. April and May roll around and it just explodes. Like the population in Sagatech goes up to 8,000. I think these days it goes up over 10,000, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, just going crazy with like people from Chicago, people from Detroit, people from even further away places, Cleveland, uh, you know, Columbus, Indianapolis. Uh, people come down from Grand Rapids and, and everybody parties and, and goes to the beach and stuff. And has like a nerdy kid who grew up pretty poor in what is uh, a town with a lot of money um it was interesting because i i always felt like i had the stuff that i needed and like i had the resources and i knew it was super safe but i also felt like a bit of an outsider despite like growing up here because everything is very like poppy and advertising friendly and especially during the summer all the local places are trying to sell you the new cbd infused cappuccino or whatever and, you know, when i was a kid in the 90s it was the same thing it was just the 90s version where they're like you know coming down and and we just got moose tracks ice cream in and kill winds or something like that you know more, more grungy pretty much yeah so it was it was kind of interesting um but i think overall i'm really glad that i grew up here like when i was um when I was a kid, my, my family always told me, they're like, you're going to be really glad you're from Saugatuck and Douglas when you're older. And I was like, fuck you, you're wrong. Saugatuck and <laughs> Douglas are boring. And now I'm an adult and I'm like, I am really glad I'm from Saugatuck and Douglas. Um, wow, I'm I'm nearly exact, the exact opposite. I grew up in Alpena, located up in northeast Michigan. And, okay. uh, and yeah, uh, I live here in Grand Rapids now, four, four hours away, and... Uh, Never want to live there again. No way. <laughs> Not even in retirement. Nah, I mean, uh, Northeast Michigan, I haven't had a lot of experience with it. I think, I've been to Port Huron a few times, uh, but that's not quite far north enough, right? Like, oh, no, that's that's across the state from here, actually. So it's still yeah, lower yeah. Michigan. Yeah. Alpine, that's like way up in the mix. Right, okay, I have to look at because yep. I'm not familiar with it. Yep, way up. It's basically across the state from Traverse City. Oh, okay. Yep, yep, yep. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I've been to Traverse City, but I've never been to northeast Michigan. Um, uh, yeah, it looks like it gets fucking cold up there. Yeah, because you, you're all the way up. Like, how many hours would it take you to drive to uh, the Mackinac Bridge? That would be closer. Twice as close as Grand Rapids. Uh, it's been years. I think it's about like a two-hour drive. Okay. Right on. Yeah, because I remember when, when me and my friend went up to tour Michigan Tech when we were in high school, uh, we drove from Saugatuck all the way up there, and it was like 10 fucking hours. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've already decided that if I do retire, which, uh, yeah, for our generation, I don't think will personally happen, but right. but, 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 but that's whatever. I've already decided that probably the smallest place I would live is Probably Traverse City. Yeah, I mean, I'm going the other way. I want to live in an even smaller place. If I could, 
if I can get close to retirement and just buy like you know uh, half a dozen acres out in the middle of fucking nowhere, I'll do it. Uh, Me and my wife are looking for houses right now, and we'd really like to live in like Denville or uh, Pullman, maybe you know, way out there, like still close enough that I could go to South Haven or something for my groceries, but. Oh shit, uh, I got a real deep cut here, you know, being the big Beep Beep Lettuce fan that I am. Yeah. Is this the compound that you've talked about creating in the past? <laughs> that is a deep cut. That's like from the first year of us doing the show. Uh, damn. Yes. I think, <laughs> I think eventually the idea is that like I buy a house with enough land around it that my co-hosts, if they want, I know... I know Bryn and Chris had mentioned that they really enjoy living in, in the city, uh, New York or otherwise. I think that they just like cities. But uh, I think I could probably convince Todd to move out to West Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> well, with the way the future is going, the Beep Beep Compound may be the last safe ref- refuge for leftist podcasters. It, it may be. With the heat waves and everything that's been happening, I think Southern Michigan is going to be one of the places that starts becoming like subtropical <laughs> I mean it feels that way right now it really does I was sweating my fucking ass off the entire game <laughs> alright then so uh alright so you grew up in Saugatuck but from your perspective how has it uh, changed since your childhood you know it's it's changed uh, a pretty decent amount I think mostly for the better they've gotten rid of some of the old landmarks like the Kiwatin which was like a ship that ran aground in Saugatuck a long ass time ago they, they eventually like broke that down and, and I think they actually sold it back to Canada because I think it was originally a Canadian ship hmm. um, but like mostly it's just become very Instagramified you know it was already a very marketing forward kind of touristy area and in the digital age and the Instagram and TikTok age, all of that's just been really turned up to 11. Um, like I'm going out for dinner with my mom, uh, this afternoon and I'm really not looking forward to like fucking scanning a QR code to read the menu. Uh, I hate, I hate that shit too so much. You know, my God, just bring me a laminated piece of cardboard like people have been doing since for, since time immemorial. Uh, I guess this this makes us yeah this makes us the older millennials. This does yeah this this unfortunately we're showing our age talking about yeah. Napster and LimeWire. Yeah, we're, we're shaking our fists at the sky now right now. Yeah. <laughs> so it's changed quite a bit. Um, it's crazy though because like where I ended up living when I moved back here is I live in Holland now. And Holland hasn't fucking changed at all. <laughs> Holland's basically the same. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so uh, as we mentioned before, you uh, lived in Pittsburgh for a decade? Yep. Yeah, uh, what uh, what made you uh, move there? Uh, I wanted to move to a city, and I didn't want to do what all my friends were doing, which was moving to Chicago and Grand Rapids. And so... Uh, I had just got back to Michigan from after living in Wisconsin during like a, a, a ill-fated relationship slash moved to Wisconsin to live with my new girlfriend, blah, 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 blah. And that didn't work out, and I was kind of like despairing. I'm, I'm back in Saugatuck. I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to fucking do? I'm bored. I'm tired. I don't have a good job. And uh, my stepdad was like, if you move to Pittsburgh, 
you know, you'll be able to come by our house and get dinner sometimes. You'll have some support. You you know, we can help you figure out getting a car and all of the other stuff that comes with adulthood. Because I'm like 19 at this time. Um, and I'm like, okay, sure. That sounds good. Pittsburgh's a city. It's as good as any other city, I guess, as far as I'm concerned. So I just kind of moved there and started doing stuff. And I really liked it. It took me a long time to get plugged into the scene, but once I did, it took me a long time to disentangle myself. Kind of like getting in the shower. You don't want to get in, but then you get in, you don't want to get out. Um, but I, I loved it. Pittsburgh was great. It opened my eyes to a ton of stuff. It taught me what being part of like a DIY music community is really like. Uh, I met a lot of cool people that influenced my politics and, and guided me towards being like first more progressive and then kind of helping me make that break from just being a pro progressive liberal into like starting to examine real anti-capitalism so that was fun uh and i you know people got me involved in the meme scene i never would have been a big <laughs> the meme player. scene yeah if i hadn't moved to pittsburgh i never would have gotten added to one very specific facebook group that basically like catapulted my 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 path forward into memory so that was really great yeah i love pittsburgh i i may move back eventually i'm not 100 percent sure but i'm just gonna you know i want to buy a house here and, and live in it for at least five years and, and then we'll figure out what we're gonna do <laughs> uh speak of which uh what made you uh move back to michigan uh price of rent going up uh there you go uh, yeah, Pittsburgh was like one of the last holdouts for really big cities that had like really, really good prices on rent. Um, we were paying 800 something dollars a month as recently as a couple of years ago. Uh, and now the price of rent has just gone up everywhere. It finally made its way to Pittsburgh and we said, fuck it. If it's going to cost $1,300 a month to live here or there, we may as well live in scenic West Michigan where we have beautiful nature trails and beaches and, and all of that stuff. So I quit my shitty parking job and my wife works from home so she can live wherever she wants to. And we just, we moved right back up here. Yep. Uh, kind of off topic, but I don't know about you, but I for one am really looking forward to the housing market crashing. Me too. That's I keep tabs on it every single day. That's going to be so much fun. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so uh, you're back. That's why you moved back to Michigan, but uh, why Holland? Uh, Holland was cheaper than Saugatuck. A lot of the houses in Saugatuck are half a million fucking dollars, and people only do vacation rentals and stuff down there. But I'm glad I moved to Holland because I, I got a job four or five miles away from my apartment that pays better money than I was making than I've ever made before in my life. So uh, I'm not like it's not a crazy amount of money. I'm making like sixteen and a half dollars an hour. That's just really good for me. <laughs> Hmm. All right. And uh, actually, last weekend, I had the pleasure of uh, visiting Holland for the first time. Even though I lived, I've been living here since uh, 2009. But yeah, first time, first time I ever visited Holland. First time ever check out the Tulip Time Festival. That's so crazy, because like, when I was growing up, we went to Tulip Time every year, and as soon as I was old enough, I was in the marching band. And Saga Tech is one of the marching bands that gets invited to march in the Tulip Time Festival. So like, I've marched in the Tulip Time Parade, I think, seven or eight times. I'm not sure how the math works out. <laughs> but yeah, did you like it? I mean, like the tulips are beautiful. I love getting a little street food. I love the little fair they set up. Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah, I loved it. Uh, it reminded me a lot of uh, Traverse City's Cherry Festival. Yep. Yeah, yeah. The cherry, yep. Honestly, the Cherry Festival's cooler than Tulip Time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, very much liked it. Uh, downtown Holland, uh, very idyllic. Like for mm-hmm. some reason, I thought it'd be uh, bigger, but no, it's actually quite small. No, it's yeah, it's, it's quite small. It's quaint. You can walk all the way around downtown Holland in about a half an hour to an hour, depending on how fast you walk. Yeah, it's for, a good time. Yeah, for people who don't know, the Two of Time Festival is uh, well, as we said, it's a festival in Holland. It involves tulips. It involves a lot of the Dutch ancestry there. Christian Calvinist. Very Calvinist, yet we are the sons and daughters of the Dutch people who thought that the Netherlands was becoming too secular in the late 1600s, or the late 1700s, excuse yeah. me. Yeah, Holland is also very, very noble for being the hometown of uh, Betsy DeVos and uh, her brother, Eric Prince, who runs mercenary groups. Yeah, absolute fucking psychopaths. Um who, who have been using this area as like the, the testing grounds for charter schools for a long time. So uh, no love to them. Every time I drive by the DeVos mansion here in Holland, I throw trash on the lawn. So I know it doesn't do anything, but it does make me feel good. <laughs> yeah, thank you for your service, Comrade JPZ. Absolutely. <laughs> no, uh, no, I forgot to tweet this out because I got busy with something else, but uh, I did see like some random biker dude at the two of time festival who uh had some questionable tattoos and patches oh yeah and, and uh and i uh, and before i got caught with something else i almost tweeted out the two of time festival is the type of thing that i guess all racists would say this is what we meant we were meant to protect yeah, yeah <laughs> something like, like that <laughs> This is the, the Western civilization that they're trying to defend, and it's just like teenage girls clogging down a poorly maintained road in the middle of a hot day. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, yeah, buddy, this is really worth it. <laughs> Everything around here is fucking like wooden shoe and, and tulip themed. It's crazy. Um, one of these days, we're, I'm going to take my wife and we're going to actually go to like one of the big tulip fields and see all the tulips, which is something I've never done. Because growing up in the region, you're always like, fuck the tulips. I've seen a billion tulips this year. I'm sick of tulips. Yeah. Uh, oh, um, I probably should get going pretty soon here. Sorry to interject. All right, cool. So, uh, all right, we'll finish up here then. Uh, overall, Michigan, yay or nay? Overall, Michigan, I'm going to give it a solid 8 out of 10. Pretty good state. Love it. Could be run better. Uh, could have a lot less Calvinists in it, but other than that, very nice place. Yeah, for for my rating, uh, even though I'm growing older, I am a little less angry than I used to back in my teens and my 20s. Sure. I'll still give it around a 6 out of 10. 6 out of 10, that's fair. Harsh, but fair. Yeah, it'll probably get better as I get older, but eh, you never know. That's right. Alright, dude, uh, yeah, I believe that should, that's the end of the podcast. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was really fun to come on. It was nice to get to talk about Luminaire a little bit. Yep. And uh, I hope your listeners enjoyed it. Yep, I enjoy talking to you. Uh, yeah, it was really great having you on, man. I love Beep Beep and Work Stoppage. So, uh, yeah, I was really psyched that you wanted to come on. Heck yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm always...
wins game. And uh, if anybody else out there has a has a podcast and you want to shoot the shit with me, just uh, send me a DM. That's all it takes. All right. Uh, very quickly, uh, where can everyone find you? Just promote yourself. Sure. I, I'm very findable on Twitter at Facebook Villain. Uh, you can also follow my podcasts Weed Pod and Work Stoppage Pod. Those are both of their ads on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. My name's just John Paul Zinkerman, and you can friend me there. Uh, you can also hang out with me in the BP Bledis and Work Stoppage Discords. And, of course, check out my uh, Bandcamp, luminairepgh.bandcamp.com. Although I probably need to change that URL because I do not live in PGH anymore. I now live in WMI, Western Michigan, I guess. I don't know. H O L L. Yeah, H O L L A N D. All right. All right, folks. Uh, that's it for the podcast. John, thanks for coming on. And, uh, folks, thank you for listening. Here is the outro song. No. Mm-hmm.
go. You mean yeah. just go?